0: Hey there, dear one. You are going to love this episode today. I am so excited to bring it to you. It's the first in a new segment I'm introducing on the podcast called Her IBD Story. And what a story our guest has. You've heard me mention her before on the podcast when I recommended her meditations, which are free on Insight Timer. It's Ruthie Hannon. Ulcerative Colitis and J-Pouch Warrior, Yoga Instructor, Meditation Guide. She's been through so much on her IBD journey and she's going to inspire the hell out of you today. Having suffered from chronic illness since the age of 15, practicing healing arts has been the key to maintaining health and working for Ruthie. Ruthie integrates what she learns into her life and shares the findings with others, allowing for a lifestyle that focuses on physical, mental, and spiritual health for herself and others. Ruthie's goal is to share the tools and experiences that help her every day in hopes of inspiring and reminding others that we are all our own best healers. During the episode, Ruthie shares with us what it was like for her being a young model in New York City with a chronic illness. She shares the true and often untold information that we need when we're thinking about getting an ostomy or J-pouch surgery. Ruthie and I also get into how living in the present has been hard for both of us, but how it's really a must when you've had traumatic IBD experiences. We talk about how the stages of chronic illness grief aren't really stages at all, but more feelings that can crop up at any time. And Ruthie shares with us two beautiful and profound healing meditations, which she doesn't even have written down. As she says, the words are just channeling through her. It's a moving conversation and it's one that I hope you can listen to or re-listen to when you're not driving or walking, at least for the beginning and the end, because I don't want you to miss out on Ruthie's powerful guided meditations. I hope you enjoy her IBD story, the interview with Ruthie Hannon. I'm so incredibly honored to welcome our guest, Ruthie, to the show. I feel like I know her because she's been in my ears. She's in my ears most mornings. Ruthie, I'm going to try not to fangirl on you too much because <laughs> it's just kind of surreal to have you here on the podcast, but welcome. I'm just really happy to share your light and your story with our listeners today.
1: Thank you so much. I'm, like, I'm incredibly honored that you feel that way, and I'm so happy to be here and talk to you, and I'm excited.
0: One of the things that I mentioned in Ruthie's bio is that she practices meditation and yoga, and she also shares that with all of us. So if you've ever been on Insight Timer and you've searched for IBD meditations, Ruthie has probably come up. And that's why she's in my ear most mornings because I'm listening to her as I am meditating and visualizing the whole healing process for my IVD. So one of the things that Ruthie and I talked about starting with is just to start this episode with a grounding meditation so that we can just set our intention for what we want to experience today. Does that sound okay with you, Ruthie? Sounds perfect. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to let you take it away. I'm gonna get comfortable. Yeah, get
1: comfy. Okay, so yeah, just getting into a comfortable position wherever you happen to be in the world right now. And just as you arrive, it's always really nice to just bring everything from the physical to the more subtle. So first just checking in with your posture and how your body is physically feeling right now and can check out the relationship between your shoulders and your hips and feel that they're in line with each other Um, Another really nice one is the pelvic floor and feeling that align with the back of your throat and just kind of like clicks you into place a little bit. And if you're in a space where you feel safe to do so at any point, you can allow the eyes to gently close and just marking your arrival to this practice with a full and deep cleansing breath, taking a slow intentional inhale and through the nose and just holding that for a moment when you are full, just experiencing fullness And whenever you need to slowly letting that go and pushing a little bit more air out of you, even once you think you're empty to just truly empty yourself and then pausing and experiencing emptiness
2: and then allowing the next breath to come as needed. And if that exaggerated
1: breath felt really good for you, you're welcome to do that a few more times if you'd like. And at any point you can release all guidance over the breath and feel yourself stepping back and up into that role of the observer. And practice witnessing
2: your breath um, rather than controlling it or guiding it. Just watching the body breathe itself.
1: And know that some days this feels completely impossible to do. And that is
2: perfectly okay if that's where you are today. In other days, this is very straightforward and simple. So just letting yourself be exactly where you are in this moment. And then just letting your awareness gently rest
1: on the face. And just notice if there's any areas of unnecessary tension. For most of us, we hold a lot of tension in our jaw, in our eyebrows and forehead. And simply by being aware of these areas, we can soften into them. i just allowing for any expression to gently melt away.
2: As you start to bring some awareness into the ears and first just fully relaxing the ears this is another place i found that i often hold a lot of tension
1: without realizing it so just letting the ears be where they are
2: and starting to welcome in all the sounds that exist around you maybe you're in a very quiet space so maybe the sounds
1: that are your environment is just the humming of the lights, maybe sounds of nature outside or traffic, or maybe you're in a little bit of a busier environment. Maybe you're driving, maybe you are out in public somewhere or in a busy city. So practicing just hearing all the sounds that you hear as part of your environment and letting them be a reminder of this moment, remembering that sounds do not exist in the past or in the future. They are purely in this moment, so they can be used as an anchor to remind
2: you of everything that's happening right now. And as you listen, just Starting to maybe feel a slight pulsing sensation of the ears. And noticing all the sounds outside of you as well
1: as now inside of you. Feeling that
2: relationship or hearing that relationship between your inside world and the outside world. Maybe just hearing the sound of your soft breath. Maybe starting to hear a distant rhythm of your heartbeat. And then gradually calling more awareness to come into your heart. And just bringing awareness to the your own personal rhythm, your own personal drumbeat that's playing in the background of your entire life. Remembering the miracle that is your heart
1: and the fact that it is beating for you every moment you've been alive and will
2: continue to do so without any of your control, without any of your doing. And remembering how this is a pure gift and miracle to you. And all the love that comes from that. All the love that your heart has come from. Knowing that only love is what makes this possible. And just
1: feeling beneath everything else. Just feeling that core sensation of love of compassion and gratitude, of
2: patience, of understanding, that all exists in your heart, at your core of who you are. And then just starting to trace the space between your heart and your head. As you feel the tip of your head reach a little bit higher up and just clearing that channel of energy from your heart to your brain. And just feeling that energetic and physical connection from your heart to your brain. As you remind yourself that all of this love and
1: compassion and gratitude that exists in your heart is being fed
2: into your brain and therefore into all of your senses. So allowing yourself to see things through the lens of love, to hear
1: things through love, to smell things and taste things and speak
2: things through love, and just be in the pure love that is you and the world around you. Maybe feeling that same heartbeat also existing in the space between the eyebrows. And just trusting your ability to love, trusting your ability to heal, trusting your ability to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And if it feels like something you'd like to do, you can slowly bring your hands to a prayer position at heart center and just feeling that connection of your palms and fingers. And as you take a deep breath in, you can feel yourself expanding fully and welcoming this fresh air into your body. And as you exhale, just allowing the head to gently bow,
1: As you bow to the source of energy you've come from, whatever that
2: is to you. Bowing to the constant source of inspiration and guidance around you. Bowing to
1: everyone in this space who's completed this practice alongside you.
2: And most importantly, bowing to yourself for listening, for choosing to show up, and for being you. And may this act continue to heal you through the rest of your days and nights. And may you bring the same sense of love into everything that you do and to everyone that you see. Namaste.
0: Namaste. <sighs> that was beautiful. See why I listened to her almost every day. <laughs> it, just, it just gives me a sense of light and intention. So I really hope that it, I don't know when you're doing a meditation, does it help you as well? How do do you feel that? Yeah.
1: That's really um, the main thing that kept me going with doing guided meditations was that i started to feel like it's sort of like a sense of responsibility because you can't really do an effective meditation if you are not doing it. Does that make sense? So I need to, And sometimes when I'm by myself, it's a little bit harder for me to do it now because I'm like, it's just me and I'm not like, um, there's no responsibility for me to like stay in that space. But when I'm, when I feel like I'm leading others and kind of bringing them on in the place with me, it really is helpful for me to just stay and receive and speak and yeah.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad that it, it, you know, yeah, that it, yeah. You, I wanted to do something for you too, as you're the one giving <laughs> us so much. But like you do too. <laughs> thank you. That was wonderful. Like so many of us that come to helping people that have IBD, you come to this because of your own journey. You have ulcerative colitis, um, and I want I want our audience to hear your story because it is so powerful. And I think it will help so many who are going through some of the same things that you went through. And I'm curious if you can take us back in time, you can think about some of your first symptoms that you had that you know now were ulcerative colitis, and it could be even before a doctor diagnosed you. What were some of the things that you were experiencing? What were your some of your first early memories of ulcerative colitis playing a role in your life?
1: Yeah, so it goes back really far, Um, basically, as long as I can remember, I was in kindergarten when I was diagnosed as lactose intolerant. Um, So that kind of started the whole like, oh, I have a sensitive stomach. And I would always have like a permanent pass to, to the nurse's office, like throughout every grade in school. I spent a lot of time in the nurse's office. We are always like best friends. Um, <laughs> and I just survive off Pepto-Bismol and Gas-X and just kind of, my mom had, just had a sensitive stomach. So I just kind of thought it was somewhat normal. Um, and then once that, so I was like all into like through middle school. And then once I got to high school, um, I was in high school, which was scary and new, and it was intimidating. And I was a, I've always been an athlete, very competitive athlete. So I really care a lot about volleyball and I wanted to just be the best player possible and make the like highest team and just do everything the most I could do it. And I started to really notice that before Everything that was important in my life, I would not be able to get off the toilet and I would just be like stuck on the toilet. I would just like pretend I was playing games on my phone or just like I I just really played it off for a long time, for a few months. And then finally, it was like perfect storm. It was right before midterms my freshman year. It was right before a big volleyball game that like I knew I couldn't miss um, like a few hours before. And I was stuck on the toilet and my mom was finally just like, Ruthie, what's going on? Like, what's happening? Are you OK? And I was like, um, Mom, I've been like pooping blood for a few months and I just like never really said anything. I was just so embarrassed. I was like, just figured it was a stomach bug and it would get better and it just never got better. And it was really, really hard to accept that. It still is kind of hard to accept it. Um But yeah, so then she, once I told her that, she was like, all right, you're not going to the game, we're going to the hospital. Went to the hospital and that's when I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. Um, My uncle had the same thing and he actually had his colon removed too. um, But then once he removed, they removed his colon, they found out he had Crohn's disease. So he had like Crohn's disease in his colon. So once they removed the colon, it just spread to the other intestines. So they told me about all of that, like when I was diagnosed, they told me about the J pouch, the ostomy, like that whole thing. And I was like, right why are you, you were telling diagnosed. me that? Yeah. And wow. I was like, and I was 15. I was like, why are you telling me this? Like, this does not apply to me. Like I'm fine. Like, and I was just really angry at that doctor. And so my mom took me to a children's hospital in Boston. um, Cause I was like, I just couldn't do it with the, um the doctor I had. And they were a lot more gentle with the information they told me and more mindful about how it was affecting me. And that was really nice. Um, So I tried everything. I was on Lialda for a long time. Then I tried Remicade um, and I hated that. I had all these like weird skin tags that came up from Remicade, which is weird. Um, I tried um, Symphony see, methotrexate, Humira, but I basically tried everything that was available to me. And um, I was doing on the SED diet. I've heard you talk about that. Um, and I've had some like, I had some relief from that for sure, but I was also like just so young and the thought of me having to eat like that the rest of my life was infuriating. And I was just like, I'm not gonna do this. I need like something else. Um, So I just kind of slowly started introducing things back into my diet. So I've still remained gluten-free and dairy-free and those are like the most important things. And I try to be mostly sugar-free but that is incredibly difficult to do. Um, But I know for a fact that sugar is like the devil when it comes to my symptoms. Um, So yeah, and then, so I was 18, like the second I turned, I wasn't even 18 yet, it was just the second I graduated. Um, I moved to New York, I was modeling at the time, I went to fashion school, and I was just like, get me out of this town, I need to get out, I need to live my life, (laughs) so I went to New York, and I was there for a few, like I think like two months almost, and then it was midterms of my first semester of college, and couldn't get off the toilet once again, and I hadn't really been able to eat anything other than white rice for over a month, so I was hundred pounds at 5'11". And wow, it was, I didn't even like feel like it was weird. I just noticed that people were looking at me differently. And that was pretty weird. Cause I was like, "What?" it was just like, I felt like very disconnected from the world around me. And um, then my mom came to visit me and she saw me and was like, that's it, we're going to the hospital. Um, so she took me back to Boston and I ended up staying there for a month and I was on IV steroids for about two weeks and the inflammation ended up getting worse. So then they were like, we have to Hmm. take it out. Um, So then I had my first uh, of the three-step colectomy. I got my colon taken out, woke up with an ostomy bag, uh, had the ostomy bag for six months. And that whole six months is pretty blurry for me uh, just because I I felt really low. I was like all excited because I was with a good modeling agency at the time. And I was like, oh sweet, when to go back and I can do modeling jobs like with my bag and can be like bringing Austin bag like into the public eye, like this is awesome. My And of course I go to my agency and they're like, no, you're not ready. Like, we're not going to put you out for anything. Like when you're like this, I was like, I can't even do like beauty stuff. Like, and they were like, no, like just, just wait until. I definitely want to hear more
0: about that. Cause I know you, you mentioned you modeled yeah, and you're doing this all with ulcerative colitis. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did you do it before you had the ostomy as well?
1: Yeah. I started when I was 15 around the same were, time I was diagnosed.
0: What is that? Or I can't imagine that world with ulcerative colitis. Yeah. Like what, what is that like?
1: It was, it was pretty bad. It's pretty like, like everything that you hear about, it's all true. Um, I mean, it's definitely changed recent in recent years, like a little bit, but I don't even think it's changed that much. It's just like, what's acceptable has changed. So now they're just like holding you to a different standard, but they're still holding you to a very strict standard. Um, but yeah, they, I was told I was pear-shaped when I was 15 and I was always told I had to lose inches around my hips or I had to tone up or trim up. And I've always been tall and thin. And I, I think just once I heard that I was really like, my whole world was kind of shattered and I just kind of really saw myself differently. And then I noticed how, whenever I was sick, I would lose weight. And I noticed when I lost weight, I would book more jobs. So I definitely think that the modeling industry or just being a part of it from such a young age, uh, contributed to like how quickly my disease, uh, accelerated and how it just kind of got bad so fast because, I was just destroying myself mentally because I, re- I really didn't think it mattered. I was just like being very mean to myself all the time. And um, definitely is not good for your digestion at all. Or and are for you ad
0: modeling jobs and having to sit on the toilet and having people yeah. having to wait for you? Right. I mean, that happens yeah. in lots of industries, but like any job you could have, right. If you have to take time off to go and go to, and use the bathroom right that's, right that's just not acceptable at work but i can imagine uh in a modeling job that would just be heightened
1: you know yeah. to- i just wouldn't eat i wouldn't eat for the whole you day before eat. a shoot i wouldn't eat the whole morning and it would be fine but gotcha. yeah I was, I was withering away i was just like not even a person
0: it's so like unrecognizable you were doing those things that you needed to do to not go to the bathroom, but then it was to exactly. your detriment because you're, there's no nutrients. You're losing weight. Things right. are just spiraling out of control. And so yeah. you get to a point where your doctor says, we're going to do this ostomy and J pouch. And, and what are you, what, I mean, they mentioned it to you earlier on, right? Yeah. But now this is what, how many years later that you're hearing this again? three, three Three years later. later. So now you're 18, Uh 18. Yeah. I remember when I was, I was diagnosed with Crohn's when I was 17, but I Mm. know I had it before then from the time I was 14. And my mother took me to a support group thinking that this is really going to help me. And one of the first people that I met said to me, girlfriend, just do yourself a favor, get that ostomy and just be done with it. Right. Your whole life is going to be better if you do that. And I asked my mother what that was. And she told me, um, she was a nurse. She told me, and I just remember thinking, what? Like, no, just what? Like, it, it freaked yeah. me out so much that I never went back to the support group. So now I'm imagining you, you're 18 years old, and they're telling you this again. And mm-hmm. you kind of, you, you've gone through every medication. You've tried SCD. You've done all of the things right? And so this, like this year at the end, right? This in the doctors, I can't imagine number one, how you were feeling in that moment. I would love for you to talk us through that. And then I would love to know, can you kind of talk us through the, what, I know, you had three surgeries, what actually happens? Because I know there's people listening who are thinking my doctor told that to me, I'm thinking that's what's down the road for me, but it seems so secretive. Like doctors don't really talk about what it is until you're there. And then you have to make a decision yep. really quickly. So what can you tell us about how did, how was, what was that like for you to be at the end of your rope? And then can you talk us through what actually happens? What do these three surgeries entail?
1: Yeah. So when I first heard about the J pouch thing and ostomy me like being a thing, when, when I was first diagnosed, It was, I had the same reaction as you, just like, no, 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 there is no way that's ever going to happen to me. Like, I will do anything to avoid that. But I think my reaction to it was so strong was because some part of me was like, that's going to happen to you. Like, that's going to be your future. And I was like, no, no, no. I was just kind of like fighting with myself for years. And then once I was in the hospital, it was kind of, and they told me that that's what needed to happen. It was kind of more like, it was a weird sense of relief because. I was like, one, I like I had a feeling that this was gonna happen. So then I was, I kind of was like, okay, well, I guess I was right. I guess there was a reason I felt that way. This is gonna happen. And then also I was so sick of going to the doctors and having them try new things and oh, well, this new thing's happening. Like that was an exhausting process for me. And I was just like, I want this dying organ out of my body. Get it out. This is not helping me in any way. This is hurting me so much. And I was under the impression, is what the doctor said, is no colon, no colitis. Exactly. I
0: think that's what a lot of doctors say, right? That's what they say, yeah. You won't have this problem anymore if you get this procedure done. Just done. If you
1: don't have a colon, you can't have colitis. And I was like, that makes sense. Cool, let's do it. Yeah. But- but they did not. And I think
0: them. they actually think that. Like and I don't think, I think they're. They do I don't think they're malicious or something like woohoo ha. I'm gonna get. Yeah that. right. <laughs> I, I think they actually believe that. Yeah, but the thing
1: is, is that pouchitis exists. Yes. And that when I first had my first bout of pouchitis, I was so angry because I was just like, come on, like. If I'm going to have the exact same symptoms as a colitis flare up, I would rather have my colon than have some pouch that's now called pouchitis. Like I'm very lucky that it did, that I don't have a lot of those flares, but like, that's what my uncle always deals with. He has like at least a few every year and he's in his sixties. So it's, it's just crazy. Um, So I wish they had told me about that. I wish they told, I wish they had just been more real with me about my life is not going to be fixed and it's not going to be perfect after this because that's really what I was that's what I was dreaming up in my head. Yeah. And that's kind of the main reason why I was like, well, "Yeah, let's do this." Um so I had the, the first surgery was really just like fast because I was already in the hospital. I was like already admitted. I've been there for like 3 weeks and then I had it and then I recovered for like a week. Um and that process, like just waking up with the ostomy bag is very strange. It's very, it was very surreal too, because uh leading up to it, I was watching a ton of YouTube videos of people with ostomy bags and changing their bag. I was like studying basically, because I'm like, this is a, this is a serious thing. Like a part of my internal organs is going to be on the outside of my body. And I have to take care of that. And I like, that's on me. So I, I just wanted to Know as much as possible beforehand, um, and they have a stoma nurse that comes who's always really helpful. Um, they come like in the hospital, and then I had a visiting nurse come I think for like the first few weeks that I had one, just while I felt like I needed it um, to like help me change the bag and to help me with all the skin care and everything because that was a whole nightmare thing too um, so when once I had the ostomy bag um, life was, I was just recovering the whole time. Basically. It was just, it was about six months that I had it. And then once I started to feel, I mean, it was a huge relief. I should say that because going from, I I had a bathroom log when I was in the hospital logging nine hours a day on the
0: toilet. Mm. And that is
1: not a life and it's impossible to live life. No, between
0: that and sleep, there's no life there.
1: No, that's all it was. It was that and Netflix and that's everything. So and some sleep if I could. And, um, so once I had the ostomy bag, it was, it was beautiful. It was like a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I, I understand why that person said that to you in the support group, because there are a lot of people who get the bag and they never want to go back. They're like, this is perfect. This is amazing. And great. Um, I, over time, I I didn't feel that way, but when I first got it, it was just such a relief to like not have to run to the bathroom every two seconds. Like, cause my whole life was just like doing something, running to the bathroom, doing something, running to the bathroom and just constant throughout the whole, every day, all day. And to not have to do that. I was like, the possibilities are endless. I can do whatever I want. Like I'm pooping I'm right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. It was yeah, amazing. That probably
0: just said freedom to you.
1: Yes, exactly. And definitely said freedom. It was a really great thing. Um, but I had so many issues with the skin, like the bag would leak onto my skin. And then I'd get these really painful rashes of like the skin being like basically raw. And I hated that. And a few times in the middle of the night, I would wake up and the bag like exploded. So I was just covered in my own poop. And Matt was like, Oh, I n- never want that to happen to anyone. But, um, that stunk. And yeah, just things like that. And just the fact that I felt so vulnerable, and just the fact that, like, someone, if someone could come and just grab my stomach and not even know that it's there, and like, then everything's out, and like, I'm ex- like, my insides are exposed to the world. And just that was really scary and anxiety inducing for me. Um, so I definitely wanted the reversal. And the second, the second surgery was about six months after the first and they actually, no, it was three months after the first. Okay. And then they, I, they kept the ostomy bag and they just constructed the J pouch. So the, the J mm-hmm. pouch is made out of your small intestine. So there's nothing like artificial inside me and it works as a colon. It's just smaller. So they constructed the J pouch and I still had the ostomy bag and then recovered from that surgery. That one was fine. It kind of just felt like the first recovery, or it felt better than the first recovery because I didn't have a big incision. So then three months after that, or maybe four months after that, some some amount of time after that, I had the reversal. So they want to give your J pouch like a few, like some time to just get adjusted to being in your body before it's like has to work and like do everything for and you
0: heal to right yeah so
1: then they then I had the reversal and they reconnected my um the end of the small intestine into the j-pouch yeah cause that's what the stoma is so yeah they reconnected everything they put it back inside me and um then it was working. And the one thing that nobody warned me about that I really wish someone warned me about was the diaper rash. Cause when you don't poop out of your butt for six months and then you do it again, it's not fun. It's like you're a newborn baby. And that lasted like way longer than I expected. Like a, a few like months. Like how long?
0: A few months.
1: Yeah. It was, it was intense. Um, but I found a lot of good products, like, well, having a bidet is really important and having like septine was really nice. It's like a more minty, like, butt stuff that you put on and, um, yeah, there's things you can do that make it a little better, but it's
2: intense for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, one of the things that, well, I hear this from every single collect me client that I work with. They'll tell me my doctor never told me this. My doctor never told me that. They, they just don't know. And you mentioned the pouchitis, you mentioned the pain of now having to retrain to go to the bathroom, right? Mm Or is is there anything else that you think would be helpful for people to know? This is what your doctor is not telling you. This is what's going to be after the thing that I hear most about is the pouchitis. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But is there anything else that you feel like, you know, your doctor's just not telling you this?
1: Yeah. Well, So I've had a total of six surgeries now. I had those initial three and then I've had three additional because of bowel obstructions, because when you have any sort of abdominal surgery, you're left with a lot of scar tissue, which I was not told about beforehand. And that scar tissue can cause so many issues and such as bowel obstructions. And I've had three different bowel obstructions and the way it's just like where if you feel like you're pregnant, like nothing will pass through you at all. And it's like the worst pain. And then the only way to clear it is to put an NG tube in your nose. So it's like a vacuum that they stick up your nose and it goes down your throat and into your intestines and vacuums everything out The worst for like 24 hours too. It's like ridiculous or longer. Um, so yeah, that was something that nobody warned me about. Um, and just the fact of like, having any sort of surgery on your stomach, it causes, it causes some sort of trauma and some sort of scar tissue. And those are things that they, they just have all these other, like, there's just way more to it than just like no colon, no colitis. And that's what really makes me upset to think about because I'm just like, I just I wanted someone to sit down with me and tell me every single thing that could happen if I had the surgery and everything that couldn't happen. Because, I mean, even if I knew all of these things, I probably would have still done it, you know, but I would have been way nicer to know beforehand that this was a possibility rather than feeling like I was blindsided. Um, So, yeah,
0: exactly. That's a big one. Yeah, I really want doctors to do a better job with this. Yeah, I'm really, I, I really don't like hearing from people who have had it down there. They tell everything's going to be fine. Yeah, You're just going to be fine. No problem. Just be
1: real with me. Tell me it's not going to be fine. I would yeah. rather that. Just
0: tell me the truth. Cause it, in, in a lot yeah. of ways it is going to be better. Right. Yeah. But in, but then there's a lot that comes with it as well. Right. So I have had, um, not my colon, but I've had the removal of my small intestines. So, mm. and not the whole thing, but 10 feet of it. Um, chunk. A really big chunk that has really affected me and it happened when I was young too. And so I haven't had a bowel surgery in 18 years, but the, um, complications that I've now had from it, right. They said, we're going to take your disease out now with Crohn's, they don't promise you that you're going to be healed because Crohn's doesn't usually work that way. It will usually come back. And they did tell me to their credit, they told me it will probably come back. And it did. So I had Mm -hmm. the first surgery, Um, with four and a half feet, I had the second surgery with a five feet that they took out. So now it's almost 10 feet. It's been 18 Mm. years and the scar tissue has now built up. So I have challenges Mm. with food passing through because of the scar tissue. And so I always think to myself, like, you know, it would have been nice if they would have, if they would have told me that, um, but I can't go back in time. And so I try to live my life not feeling sorry for myself about the past and not feeling like what's going to, what is my future going to be like? Because I've had these surgeries and the scar tissue, it just keeps getting worse and worse. So for you, I would love to know, how do you stay in the present? How do you, how do you not think about what was or what could have been? And how do you not think about what could happen in the future? How do you, how do you stay present?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I definitely do. I definitely do think about the past and the future. And I definitely have long periods of time, particularly after surgeries and unexpected surgeries, like, because I had two unexpected surgeries in 2020. And like, I just really thought I was over everything, you know, and that really messed me up for some time, because I was like, um, just very afraid that like, oh, what's the point of doing anything if I'm just going to have another surgery tomorrow? Because like, I felt fine beforehand. And then just one day I felt really sick, went to the hospital, wake up and I I, I had a surgery. Right, that's how
0: instructions can work. One day you're fine and then next next day you're not.
1: And that's terrifying. So um, so now
0: you live in this constant state of when's that going to happen again? At least I do. So so I would love, (laughs) love to hear what you're doing.
1: Yeah. So what I do to help me with that stuff is, well, first of all, I notice that I'm doing it because I think for a long time, you don't even notice that you're doing it. You're cause you're just like, this is the only way to think like, there's no other way to be like, this is, this is real. Cause it is a real thing. And you have to validate that that is actually a possibility. Like it could happen. And I think that's what, um, I was struggling with for a long time because I was just like, because the fears are rational, like they're not they're not out of the blue, like it's True. based on history, so you have to like give yourself a break because you're afraid for good reason, like that's it happened, and it that's could funny. happen again right um so it's like remembering that and at the same time, I try to remind myself that like if that does happen, what am i like what am I going to do today that Is going to just make me feel good and make me feel happy. Because yeah, it is a possibility. I could be in the hospital tomorrow and stay there for a week. So how am I going to live my life today and take advantage of the fact that I'm not in the hospital and that I'm not sick? Because you can, it's such a a flip though, because you can really easily just be like, there's no point in doing anything if I'm going to be in the hospital tomorrow. Or you could flip it to be like, well, if I'm going to be in the hospital tomorrow, I better do all the things today because I feel great today. And that is where I try to stay, but it's you have to be you have to be really really kind to yourself when you slip into the other way because is something my therapist told me that was really helpful is that like just about self-compassion and how like our brains think that if we're really hard on ourselves about feeling a certain way or like doing something that that'll change the way that we do it so it's like if I'm constantly thinking about how I, I'm scared I'm going to be in the hospital but then I tell myself no like stop like stop thinking like that because you have to live your life you have to be happy today blah blah, blah. if you come at it from that like hard perspective it's going to keep you stuck in the cycle so the only way to come out of it is by validating why you are stuck in the cycle and just Imagine if like your best friend or your daughter was going through the same thing and how would you speak to them if they were going through it like it's not their fault that they are scared because history is like scary and the future is scary but <laughs> right now everything is okay so we can we can like work through the things we felt in the past we can work through the things or kind of plan mentally plan for things happening in the future because there's definitely value in that Just being like, okay, well, if I get sick when I'm out here with these people, what will I do? And just kind of, it gives me a sense of peace just knowing that like I've already played through this in my mind. So if it happens, I'm good, and then I don't have to worry about it when I'm there because it's like a dress rehearsal almost. But I know that's that might not be helpful for everyone. So
0: just kind of like knowing that's hugely helpful, actually. Yeah. Um. So we try to stay in the present. We try to live in the moment and enjoy it because we don't know what the future is going to hold. But at the same time, not feeling guilty or berating ourselves because we've planned for the future or because one day we got stuck in the past. Right. Right. Like when those, and you can also,
1: you can be in the present and be thinking, you can be presently planning for the future and you can be presently working through the things you've lived in the past. Amen. Like you just, That's so it's just good. Being, yeah, it's just being present with what you're thinking about and not being like thinking about the past and like feeling it like you're fully there. It's like watching it more like an observer, like observing what happened in the past. What can you learn from what happened in the past? How can you apply that to what's happening now? And how can you apply those lessons to what could happen in the future?
0: Much healthier way to go about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 But I also, I tell my clients and I try to be this way with myself. Like some days I'm just going to have a bad day and I'm going to cry right. and yes. that's okay.
1: And you should do that. Everyone and should do that.
0: Exactly. If I don't yeah. want anybody to live there, I would never want to live in that place. But right. some days you need to do that. And I think oftentimes as women, we feel like well, we're just not strong if we, if we indulge in that. right? Like, right. I, and that's even just a really horrible way to say it, indulge, right? It's not indulging. Mm.
2: It's right. just
0: being in that state, right? But we're told, right. well, no, you're just, you can't. So I, I, I encourage people to be there. When you, you know, what you've gone through is a really challenging thing. What we go through every day with IBD is really challenging. And so we yes. just need to allow ourselves to be where we're at.
1: Yeah. Be in the storm and every storm runs out of rain. That's, oh, I
0: love that. That's the best. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I kind of say it a little bit differently, but the same sentiment. I say, yeah. this is your now. It's yeah. not your future. This is your now. Right. It's not your future. It doesn't have to be your future. Perfect. This is your now. So yeah, it's like, there's the storm, but it's going to run out eventually. Yeah. The, it the has to. Change. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I really think that people don't, give enough thought to is the idea of surgeries like this with having um, an ostomy, having a J pouch. That just going through all of the steps that you go through, it's it's a loss, right? And and it's a trauma. Yeah. Oftentimes we think of it as, I don't know, like just a medical procedure, but actually there's a loss and a trauma there. And so you might think that it's this grief process. And then you'll just go through those do you know Elizabeth kubler-Ross the stages of grief
1: I know about the stages of grief yeah but so it's probably is, from her yeah it
0: is it's from her Elizabeth Kubler-Ross she years ago she created the stages of grief denial, anger, right. resentment, um, acceptance I don't know there's another one in there that I'm not thinking of mm-hmm. but um, so she created these stages of grief and so people tell us that this is how you go through it right you'll go through denial then you'll go through anger but what I find is that at least for me, and I would guess for, um, ostomy and J pouch people as well, it doesn't actually work in this, um, secular way, right. Way, a circle doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. work in a pattern. So sometimes some days you might feel acceptance and then other days you might be back in denial. And then, right. Mm. Do you find that for you as well, that you're kind of all over the place with the emotions?
1: Absolutely. And I think that a lot of like the um, the books I've read about, like, cause yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, we're mourning a loss. We've lost an organ or we've lost a chunk of ourselves. So you have to mourn. It's a mourning process and you have to grieve that loss and um, accept where you're currently at. Um, and the organs that are h- here inside of you and are working and not like taking those for granted either. Um, but I absolutely like some days I will feel on top of the world, like I've acceptance. I am like, I did it. I I like I made it roar. Exactly. And it's like, you feel like you've kind of made it. But then the next day, it's like, can't get off the couch. And I'm crying all day. So it's, it's definite. And I think a lot of like the grief, um, like process of it and everything. If you read it exactly as it is, and take it in exactly as it is, it can be kind of harmful just because you don't think you're doing it right. You know, if you're just like, oh, well, I, that's not what my process has been. And it's like every single person's grieving process is going to be different. Um, and it's a very personal process. And it's not something anyone can really tell you either. It's like, you can listen to what has worked for other people, but ultimately it's, you're different and you have to do what's what's right for you. So if someone suggest something that like oh you should you're this far away from when it happened so you should be in this stage it's like that is going it's like it's like a record scratch it's like if if your reality is something but then you're hearing from someone else that your reality should be something different then you're just like wait well like if I should be there then but it's like no just let yourself be exactly where you are and like take in what other people say and Things that resonate with you and kind of make sense and feel helpful, but take everything with a grain of salt because you, I got really caught in like comparing my healing to other people's healing and it's never going to be the same. So there's no real point in doing it. Um,
0: but yeah, like you mentioned, when you're feeling that way and you're in your own pain, one of the things that you mentioned is therapy. And I think that that can be so helpful. I feel like somewhere, maybe it was on one of your YouTube videos that I saw that you've done hypnotherapy.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, when I was, yeah, when I was 17 and just diagnosed, my mother took me to a therapist who did hypnotherapy. And I found that to be amazingly beneficial. Have you had the same experience?
1: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's beautiful. I think it's way different than what I had in my head as to what hypnotherapy would be. Because um, I feel like we all kind of have this uh, first vision of hypnotherapy as being like, oh, like a little woo woo. Well, we, yeah, like, we see
0: the hypnotherapist on the stage who yeah, is making the people, people bark like, like a dog yeah. or like a chicken. Or yes, exactly. it is not. No, it's not, to no. me, it's a lot more like meditation.
1: Exactly. And that's what kind of blew my mind when I first started doing gut hypnosis was because I was like, this is what I've been doing. Like this is, it's, it's not the person who's the hypnotherapist is not doing anything for you. They are guiding you through the process so you can do it for yourself. And I think that's something like in my head before I was like, well, what if like they do something to me that's like scary or harmful or like too much? but it's like, you have all of the power. They're just suggesting things to you. And if it feels good, you go with it.
0: And if it doesn't,
1: then leave it. So yeah, Yeah, it's really helpful.
0: And so when I, when we think about therapy and hypnosis, that kind of leads me into thinking about meditation, right. And also, and also yoga. So Mm -hmm. how did those practices develop for you?
1: So, um, yoga is something that's kind of always been in my life in the background. My mom, uh, always had these yoga tapes I would do with her when I was little. Um, but I never really, it just seemed kind of like another sport, another workout thing to do. So, uh, I didn't really think of it as being anything deeper or more than just the physical postures, the asanas of yoga. So when I was, uh, I think I was 20, 21, maybe I It was in 2018. I decided to really go for it with yoga and I went through a really bad breakup and I was just getting off of, or I was trying to get off of like the biologics I was on, but I knew I had to make like serious lifestyle changes if I wanted to do that successfully. So I was like, I'm just going to force, or my sister was the one actually who said, um, she was like, something crazy awesome happens if you like force yourself to do yoga every single day, even when you don't feel like it. So I was like, okay, and I'll try it for a month. And I just never really stopped. And I just, I did it every single day, just through YouTube. Um, and just did some amount of yoga every day and really, really loved it. And I could see how it would just get better and better because it just in the month I did it, it was just getting better. So then I, um, Made I booked a trip for my yoga teacher training and went to Costa Rica for a month in 20 April of 2018 and did a 200 hour teacher training, which was amazing. It was just like everything it sounds like. It was beautiful, perfect. I we did so much yoga, we were vegan for the month, which was Nice. Like I, it was cool for me to try being vegan, but my body definitely was craving red meat by the end of it. And I think
0: everybody's some different, right? Exactly. Some people yeah. vegan totally works for them. And then other exactly. people, they need meat, right? It's also yeah. individual.
1: Exactly. So, um, but it was, it was nice that I tried cause I probably would not have ever tried if I wasn't forced to. <laughs> so, uh, that was really great. And I, I back from that trip and I felt like well, that was the first time I ever heard or I ever understood why people say food is fuel. Because that's never been something that's ever made sense to me. My entire life, I've always just been like, you eat what's going to hurt you the least. And like, that's just what you eat. Like, what? I never thought of it as something as like being energetic for you. If I wanted, wanted to have energy, I wouldn't eat. And then I would be like, have a lot of energy. And that's just what my life has always been. But when I went there, I would eat a meal that was like grown on the land we were living on. And I would be like so much energy. I felt like I just had espresso or something, but better. Amazing. It was just like, yeah. And I was like, I didn't even know it was possible for people to feel like this. So I had like, I felt like I got a glimpse of what normal people feel like or normal people feel like every day, <laughs> like healthy people. Um, so I was like, I don't ever want to lose this. Like, how do I just keep this all the time? Um, and yeah, that, it was really, really great. And I just continued to do yoga when I got back from the training, but then, and I was really into like the whole mindset thing and I was, uh, got a Reiki certification and just, wow. and then I started to hear about, um, the solar plexus and how your solar plexus is your self-worth and self-confidence. So then I was like, that's why, yeah, I was like, that's why I got sick it was because I hated myself so much. And so then I was just really like kind of equating everything as like, oh, it's all been my fault. Now that I know, now I can control it and now I won't ever get sick again. <laughs> and I was like, there, oh. I was like, this is it. I figured it out. Uh-huh. And then of course I get sick again and everything just shattered again. But it came to a way, it was kind of like the pendulum. Like I was all the way over here, all the way over here. And then I, when I got sick again, it like forced me to like come to the center and just be like, okay. It's not, there's not one answer for everything. There's always going to be, it's a both and thing. That's another thing my therapist is so helpful with. I love with. that, right? Yeah. Because I always say, but or, or, and then every time I catch myself now, I'm like, no, it's both, both
0: and. And yes, like, I love that.
1: Yeah. Western medicine and Eastern medicine. Like we can have both of them. And exactly. I was really like kind of shunning Western medicine for a long time. And just like, I, I had, had those modern medicine too. Yeah, yeah, but I kind of came to a center ground. I'm like, no, I'm alive because of it. So exactly.
0: We yeah. can't discount any of it. We have to use right. what helps us. Exactly. Yeah? And so w- when did the meditation come in? So
1: meditation, it was the main thing that I gravitated toward from the yoga teacher training. And um, like we did like these inner child meditations and archangel meditations and all these like kind of journey, like beautiful ones. And I just, it made so much sense to me. Like, I I just, I can't even really explain it. It was just like, oh yeah, duh. Like I know exactly how to do this. It was just like exactly, it felt like exactly what I needed to do. And it was so, it never felt like a challenge for me at all to do guided meditations. It was just like, it comes very, very natural to me. So then when I got back from that teacher training, I found Insight Timer from my teachers there. And um, Tannis Fishman is an amazing teacher on Insight Timer. Jennifer Piercy, I love their style of speaking and just how inviting it is. And not because are, there are a lot of teachers, I mean, everyone needs something different to like click into that space. That's why I always say to people who are starting, like, try as many different teachers as
2: possible. And there because, are so many
0: on Insight yeah, Timer, there's, and there's no free. shortage. Yeah, why not? I'm always recommending Insight Timer. I love it. I'm glad you gave us a couple more names because I'm going to go check them out now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're amazing, amazing teachers. And a lot of like what I say is it's like little nuggets from what I picked from their words. Um, A lot of yoga Nidra. Have you tried yoga Nidra?
0: Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful.
1: So a yogic sleep. Um, So when I tried all that stuff, I was like, this is amazing. And then I just started looking. I'm like, I want something that like I can listen to when I'm on the toilet and I can't go to the bathroom. And like, I want something that's like for that. And I started looking and I couldn't find like anything or maybe there was a few, but didn't really resonate or something. So then I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to make my own. So I just like wrote it out. Okay. I recorded it. And then that was like, that was the first and only like meditation I thought I was going to do. And it's like a 10 minute, like it's the solar plexus, the first one, like on my YouTube and on everything. And it has, I think it still has like the most plays out of all of the ones I've done. And like people just really, yeah, they really resonated with it. And I listen to it when I like still, and I need it because I really like make these, a lot of the meditations like for myself and for everyone else who feels like me. Right. So yeah. And then I just, once I got like positive feedback from all of that, I was just like, why don't, why don't I just do this? Like, this is the perfect job for me. Like it's a job that like forces me to tune into myself and to be present. And it gives me that responsibility because I did love teaching yoga, but it was, I was teaching 10 classes a week at one point. And it was like, I can't keep this up. Like this is too rigorous, like of a lifestyle. Yeah. Like meditations. I'm like, I could do 10 guided meditations easy in a week, probably more. So, um, yeah. So it was just, I really fell in love with
0: it. Oh, I'm so glad that they're there. You know, for a long time I was doing insight timer and I didn't even look for any kind of digestive healing meditations. Cause I just figured they weren't there, but yeah. when you actually go and look, it's amazing that there's a lot now. really specific with whatever ailment. You have. So I just love Insight timer. I highly encourage everybody to go there. So most of your work right now is on insight timer. And then we can also find you on YouTube. I know you have yoga on YouTube as well. Are those the main places where everybody can find your work?
1: Yeah. YouTube, uh, Instagram, insight timer, the the usual stuff.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to close out today, just like we started. I want to close out with another meditation so that we can leave today just feeling really wonderful about the day, right? With hope, right? So I would love for us to close out that way. Before we do that, Ruzi, do you have anything, any last nuggets, words of wisdom, anything you want to just leave us with?
1: Yeah, I really think this is, this is something that's been very prevalent in my life lately, and I really just want to share it with as many people as possible. Um, I really think that, well, there's actually two things. So I think that um, that journaling, I really think it's necessary, and I don't think you have to be a writer or call yourself a writer to do it, but any form of it, too. Like, even if it's in the form of doodles or just scribbles on a paper, I think that documenting your life in some form even just pictures on your phone and reviewing that is so important to cuz nobody can really teach you what you can teach yourself and by living your life and documenting parts of it in some form like your external world as well as your internal world like things that happen in your life and then how you feel about them and the thoughts that you're having currently I think doing that over time and reviewing that over time, you learn so much about yourself and it's things that nobody else could ever tell you because it's only, it's your inner world. Um, but we always forget, like we forget the things are yeah. the lessons we learn all the time. So just like, even just this morning, I like rewatched one of my old YouTube videos. Cause I've, I realized I hadn't watched any of them ever. And I was like, <laughs> what did I even say on these? And I was like, Oh my god! I felt like I was learning things, listening to myself talk. I was wow. like, "This is crazy," because you forget everything. So I think that is so so helpful, especially when with like kind of deep emotional stuff, which I feel like people with IBD often have. Um,
0: and so true. And yeah, when, do you think that there's a best time of day to do that? You know, do you think we should plan a, a, in the morning to do it or in the evening to do it, or do you think it's like just when the mood strikes you? What do you think works best?
1: I think definitely when the mood strikes you, but I think when you are starting, that's not going to happen until you force yourself to do it. So I think starting first thing in the morning is really like um, Julia Cameron I think it's her name. Julia Cameron has the book, The Artist's Way. And she talks about the um, morning pages of how every morning, first thing in the morning, write three pages. Even if it's just like, I don't know what to write. This is dumb. I don't want to write right now. Like even if it's just that for three pages, it's kind of like a brain dump, like emptying the trash can on your computer or something, just getting it all out. So then you can start with a fresh mind.
0: Yes, Um, I read that book a while ago. You know what? I'm going to link that in the show notes because everybody should read that book.
1: That is a must read for sure. Must
0: read for sure. Okay. And I know you wanted to mention one more thing.
1: Yeah. Okay. The last thing is uh, this really helpful analogy. I say it in a lot of my meditations, um, but it kind of blew my mind when I first heard it. Um, There's a teacher, um, he teaches ancient astrology. Um, It's nightlight astrology on YouTube, but he, um, he taught, he teaches a course or like a, like a YouTube course on the Hermetica, which is another great book um it's the ancient te- teachings of hermes um it's okay. like the lost wisdom of the pharaohs so what the symbolism of the moon and the sun so the moon in ancient astrology represents the body like our physical bodies and the sun represents our soul so the moon does not have its own light like our body is just matter and we reflect the moon reflects the light from the sun from the soul so our body is brought to life by our soul. And sometimes it's a new moon. And sometimes the moon is totally in the dark from the soul. Sometimes our body is totally in the dark and we feel like we're in the trenches and like nothing's ever been good and nothing will ever be good again. And we're just like disconnected and lost feeling. And then sometimes we're a full moon. And sometimes we feel like totally illuminated, totally connected, totally great with where we're at. And then there's all those phases of the moon in between. So it's like, and you never stay, whenever you're in one phase, you feel like that's where you're, that's where you're at. That's where you've always been. It's where you will always be. And there's nothing that's ever going to change, but it always changes. And we always go through the cycles of the moon, just like the moon does. Sometimes we're partially illuminated. Sometimes we're partially in the dark and like, sometimes we're full. Sometimes we're in the dark and like, just Being wherever you're at and not trying to change it, not trying to be a full moon when you're in a new moon, just being the new moon, just being in that darkness and knowing that the next phase is right around the corner.
0: That's very helpful. Oh, I love that. So much wisdom from you. And you mentioned so many (laughs) things that I'm going to go through this before I um, make it go live. And I will put all the links in the show notes because. Yeah. So much wisdom from you. That's amazing. (laughs) All the things that you've learned in this short period of time. And, you know, I've gotten so much from your insight timer meditations, but who knew you were just this fount of wisdom. That's awesome. (laughs) I love (laughs) it. Thank
1: you so much.
0: Oh, it's been such a joy. It's such an honor for me to talk with you today. I'm just really grateful to you. So thank you for sharing this space with me, Ruthie, and thank you for sharing your light with everyone that's listening.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome.
0: Let's close um, out with a meditation. Is yeah. That okay.
1: Yeah. I right. want to do, yeah, we're going to do a stomach one too. So, okay. We'll awesome. Good. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So just coming back to that comfortable position. If you're sitting with your feet on the ground, just really feeling your feet on the ground, closing the eyes, if you feel safe to do so and taking that same
2: cleansing breath, full inhale and full exhale. And
1: just letting the crown of your head lift up slightly toward the ceiling and just feeling the length of your spine. As you start to settle back into your body, just coming back to your heart. Feeling once again that unique rhythm that your heart has. Remembering that connection that your heart has to your mind, to your senses. And now, remembering the connection that
2: your heart has to your stomach. And just feeling all that
1: love and energy that's in the heart and how that is directly connected, passing through the lungs and coming into all the
2: organs in your stomach.
1: Now you can gently place your left hand on your heart and your right hand on your belly, wherever it feels called to go. Just trusting where your hands naturally fall. And now just feeling this connection of your palms to your body. So feeling how your heart is beating into your hand
2: and also how your hand is beating back into your heart.
1: Feeling maybe the rise of your belly as you breathe in into your hand and the fall as you breathe out or maybe even feeling a heartbeat in your stomach that's pulsing
2: into your hand and your right hand pulsing back into your stomach. And now just feeling the love from your heart, this enter into your hand naturally and travel up the left arm Come into the left shoulder, across the collarbones, down the right arm, through the right wrist, into the right hand, and into the belly. And just
1: feeling this circuit that you've just created, connecting your heart to your belly. In two ways now, a direct line through the inside of your body and your torso. And now from the
2: outside, from your hands, through the heart in your hands. And just allow your stomach to receive this healing from your own heart. Notice if there's any resistance to it. And know that that is okay, too. Trust that you will always receive what you are meant to receive when you are meant to receive it. And just stepping out of your own way as you feel ready to receive and to heal. So whenever you feel ready to do so, you can slowly let your palms find each other now. Feel all of that energy just settle within your stomach. Let it be
1: absorbed into the organs, into the cells of your body.
2: And feeling this love just feeding into each palm. And as
1: you take a deep and conscious breath in, once again, feeling yourself fill up, letting yourself fill
2: up. And as you exhale, just slowly letting the head bow. And once again, just bowing
1: to the source you've come from, bowing to the inspiration and guidance around you, bowing to everyone in this space who's completed this alongside you. And most importantly, bowing
2: to yourself for listening, for choosing to show up, and just for being here. May this practice continue to heal you through the rest of your days and nights. And may
1: you bring the same love and understanding into everything that you do and to everyone that you see.
2: Namaste. Namaste. Thank
0: you, Ruthie. Thank you so much. Thank
2: you, Karen.
0: Thank you. (sighs) That was something really special, right? Ruthie is definitely an inspiration to us all. If you want to practice yoga with Ruthie, or if you want to use her as a guide through your meditations, you can find her on YouTube and Insight Timer. She also is on Facebook and Instagram. I will go ahead and link to Ruthie's website and YouTube channel in the show notes. Definitely go check her out. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today and stay tuned for more Her IBD Story episodes as we continue to shed light on IBD women warriors in our circle. Until we meet again, I'm wishing you a cheeky and healthy IBD healing journey. Chat soon. Thank you so much for joining me today and for listening to today's episode. When it comes to IBD, I know there's a lot of resources out there, and I'm truly honored that you chose the Cheeky Podcast to get your IBD information today. If you found this information helpful, please give us a rating and review. It helps other moms find the podcast and see what we're doing over here to help IBD moms everywhere. And if you feel called to do it, share this podcast with an IBD mom who you know could really use an uplifting message today because that's what we're all about over here at the Cheeky Podcast. One last thing, if you're still with me, and if you are, you're definitely my kind of gal. We have to get to know each other better. If you're tired of living on the hamster wheel of IBD with all the ups and downs between flares and remission, if you're struggling to get control of your abdominal pain, gas, bloating, diarrhea, and other troubling IBD symptoms, Go to my website, it's KarenHaley.com, and my mom had to be just a little bit different, spell my name with a Y, so it's K-A-R-Y-N-H-A-L-E-Y.com, and schedule your very own free 30-minute IBD root cause troubleshooting session with me, where we discuss the challenges you've been having, we set goals to help you move forward, and we talk about how we can work together to help you get your life back. It's a power-packed 30 minutes. You don't have to live in IBD status quo. There's so much that can be done to transform your life so you can thrive in motherhood and thrive with IBD. I've seen my clients walk this path and it gives me so much joy to take that journey with them. My entire coaching practice is run online, so you never have to leave your house and you never have to get out of your jamming or yoga pants for us to work together. You know I'm wearing them too. If you're ready to take your first amazing step towards healing, I'm ready to chat with you. Schedule your free 30-minute IBD root cause troubleshooting sesh today at karenhaley.com. Click on the work with me tab and I'll see you soon. It's important to note that the information in this podcast and in this episode is for general information purposes only and not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. The statements made in the Cheeky Podcast for Moms with IBD, either by me or my guests, is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Before implementing any new treatment protocols, do yourself a favor and consult your physician first. Thank you so much for listening, for being here, for saving this space for us to spend some time together. Until we chat again, I'm wishing you a cheeky and healthy IBD journey.